Tonight we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I teach Wednesday nights with the youth, and for the last about year and a half, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at at Jesus' words um, as he was on this hill, looking over the Sea of Galilee, talking to all these people that have gathered there uh, to hear him. And so, uh, as Shane asked me to to come preach tonight, and I guess I'm going to be preaching about a month from now on a Sunday night, he said, "Why don't you just take." Uh, a couple of things that you know you've been doing, the ones that stick out, and so there's two two things recently we've been talking about with the youth on Wednesday night that just just slammed me uh, as I was studying this and just uh, broke me uh, in my own uh, uh, in my heart and just my mindset on how I look at the world and some of the things that the Lord was saying uh, to these people on on this hill that day. And so I'm going to bring these things uh, to you guys uh, tonight. We're going to talk about giving from Matthew six one through four. Matthew six one through four. Uh, and like I was saying, uh, uh, what I'm trying to do tonight in this sermon is, uh, is pull two different things together. On Wednesday night, we, we looked just at verse 1 as a warning, and then 2 through 4, we talked about giving. And it was two completely different sermons. So I've pulled these together, Lord willing, to be able to do it in a timely manner. But as I was thinking about it, since this isn't something we've been studying together, you haven't walked with me through this, just to jump right into giving without coming in with verse 1 with a warning would, would kind of be... Uh, we kind of missed the point, because that's, that's what Jesus is going at here. All that being said, though, the Lord uh, ordained uh, Cooper this morning to preach uh, from Hebrews, talking about taking care not to fall away, being enticed by sin, being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and eventually falling away from the faith. And uh, that, that was amazing, because that is a setup for, for what is going on here as well, and what Jesus is preaching about through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, one of the things that I've been noticing as I've been teaching this week by week is uh, that basically the Sermon on the Mount, if you just step back and look at it, uh, it's, it's God, right? This is God speaking to us. God, as a man, speaking to us on this hill. And one of the things he's doing is, is continually talking about what his children look like, what his kingdom citizens look like. He's gone through their character traits, through spiritually who and what they are, through their mission here on this earth. He talks about uh, their standard in the midst of, of, of sinful situations and how they are to act, how are they to live. Uh, in comparison to the hypocrites who are supposedly the standard of God's people, or the Pharisees, the standard of God's people this time. And he says, look, what you've seen uh, proclaimed in my name and what you've seen these leaders say that I have called you to do or how to act or how to live is, is anything but what I've always taught. And so in the midst of this, he starts telling them his standard, what his people look like. And through all of this, we almost get this sort of like litmus test or this this way to... to uh, to judge the, the good fruit from the bad fruit, or to judge the sheep from the goats. We have this ability through what the Lord teaches us on this hill, in this Sermon on the Mount, uh, to discern the difference between a true child of God and a hypocrite. Um, and, and it just continually goes through these things. And so tonight, we jump in right in the middle of it, uh, and Jesus is going to be talking about this thing, practicing righteousness. He's going to be talking about practicing righteousness is something that all Christians do, but it's something that a lot of people... Uh, learn and do minus the heart, and we would call those hypocrites. But I'm jumping too far ahead. Let me uh, take this step by step. But before I do that, I want to pray. Lord, thank you for this night and for giving us this time. Thank you for your word and for allowing us to be able to come here and to read uh, the word of the God of all of the universe, the God that created all things. Lord, to know that we have a God that loves us so intimately that you've given us your word to guide us in this life, to show us truth, to call us to repentance, to remind us of who we are and who you are, of what you've done, 
and to humble us and to break us and to help us to uh, come running to you. Lord, all of us in here are weak. All of us in here are helpless and poor apart from you. Lord, we have nothing to offer. Spiritually, we have nothing to give. And Lord, if it weren't for you and your love and your grace, sending your son to die for us, then, then we would have no hope in the world. And Lord, we thank you that you have done this. We thank you that we were able to just share in, in uh, the Lord's Supper and to remember the fact that your body was broken and crushed by God for us, that you took on the wrath of God on the cross for us, that your blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven, so that our sinfulness could become your righteousness and that we could be adopted as children of God and be made brothers with Christ. Lord, as we study this tonight and we recall what Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, I pray that it would strike all of our hearts, that we would heed the warning that he gives, and that we would strive to practice righteousness as he teaches us tonight. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. <clears throat> so Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 1. And like I said, this, uh, this whole practicing righteousness theme that runs through Matthew 6 uh, begins uh, with this warning that Jesus gives us. And we can't begin without looking at the warning. Uh, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Um, I was telling the, uh, the students on Wednesday night, uh, you know, we, see, we got this word beware here. And beware is always a warning. You know, in, in our life now, in the world, when someone tells you, you see a sign that says beware, or you see a warning, you know, you never think, sweet, I'm going to go do that. You know, beware of dog does not mean beware and come pet the dog. You know, beware of mountain lion when you're taking a hike does not mean, hey, look around for a mountain lion, Lord willing, you'll see one. You know, if you have a tornado warning, that is not a call to go out and witness the tornado and Lord willing, you know, get a good picture of it. When we have warnings, when we have signs that tell us to beware or caution, it's, it's, it's telling us that there's a threat, that there's a danger. Uh, usually on our safety, our well-being, or even our life, right? Tornado warnings are there so that you heed the warning and run. Find shelter. You know, fire warnings. At our schools, we have fire drills and fire alarms, things like that. It's a call to get out now because there is a fire, you know? So we have these warnings uh, to, to remind us that there's a threat. And here God gives us a warning. And in fact, this is, this is an eternal threat. This is a warning for our eternal sake, and, and it's something that threatens either our soul or uh, our potential in eternal life as one of God's children. So we need to heed this warning and, and see what it is. And the warning is this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Now, practicing righteousness, when we talk about this, and this is good to look into here. When we talk about practicing, anything we, we, if we talk about practicing baseball, it means to, do, to play baseball, to practice things, to work on things over and over to get better at it, right? If you practice a musical instrument, you do it over and over and over to get more proficient, to get better at it. If you practice math or, or some academic skill, you do something again and again and again for the purpose of getting better and better and better. If you just look in the dictionary... Uh, practice means repeated performance or systematic exercise for the purpose of acquiring skill or proficiency. So, one of the things as children of God that we are called to do and that actually is, is part of who we are is practicing righteousness. Cooper actually spoke on it a little bit this morning from 1 John 2. Ezekiel talks about, actually it's, it's throughout the Bible. If you just go look up practicing righteousness, uh, you can see throughout the Bible this is something the Lord has taught. Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere. 
The Lord has never changed his message on practicing righteousness. All of his people, all of his children practice righteousness. And so as Christians, we should be doing this. We should be doing this over and over in order to get better and better at it. So what is righteousness? Well, like I said, if you look in Ezekiel 18, 4 through 9, you, you can flip there if you want. You don't have to if you don't want to, to lose your place there in Matthew. But, uh, but, but God, speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, says this. He says, uh, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul who sins will die. But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness, and then he goes into exactly what this is to the Israelites. So if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness, and then he says, and does not lift up his eyes to idols, and if a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing, if he does not lend money or interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes and in my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, exactly what Cooper talked about this morning, then he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord. So practicing righteousness, defined by Ezekiel to the people of God, to the Jews, is to, to, do, to do all of these things, to, to not lift up your soul to idol, to faithfully follow the ordinances of God, to do what God has asked us to do, to not commit robbery, but to actually give to those who need, uh, to not oppress anyone, but to actually restore uh, the debts that you owe, and to help those who, who need uh, money, to always execute justice between men. So all of these things that we, we see practicing righteousness have to do with how you give to others, how you interact with others, and how you interact with God, and how you faithfully follow Him and His ordinances, His decrees, and His laws. Now also righteousness is part of, and this is something we don't want to miss as well, the nature and the character of God. Again, if you look at righteousness throughout the Bible, the, the, the one person who is declared as righteous over and over and over and over again is God Himself. A couple examples are from Deuteronomy 32.4. says that He is the rock, and His, word is perfect, or his work is perfect. For all His ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. In Psalm 7, it says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. So if we look at these two things and we try to come up with a definition of this practicing righteousness, and I know you could define it in many ways, but it would all come around to something like this. Practicing righteousness is basically doing things that are characteristic of the nature of God or of Jesus Christ. Doing righteousness is doing the will of God the Father. So when we talk about this practicing righteousness, this is something that we are to continually do as children of God in order to become more proficient at it, in order to become better at it. Not just a call to do it because, well, Jesus would do it. I mean, absolutely, that's true. But we're working at a pur- for a purpose, to become more and more and more like our God who is righteous. Does that make sense? Or like our Savior who is righteous. Um, and then actually, uh, going on that, Psalm seventy-one nineteen says, For you, for your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Who is like you, whose righteousness reaches to the heavens? And, and, the, and the answer that we, we all know, the, the immediate answer is no one, right? No one is like God, whose righteousness reaches to the heaven. But at the same time, there is another answer that is true biblically. There is someone that is like God. There are people that are like God, whose righteousness should be growing like God's. And those are the children of God.
from God's perspective, when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ in his children because the spirit of Christ resides in the hearts of all of those who are his. From God's perspective, all of his true sheep have his righteousness in them and are becoming more and more and more righteous like him in this life until the day that they become completely righteous when he returns with all of us or or the day that we die. The righteousness of God is something that is in all of his believers and should be growing towards his perfect righteousness that reaches to the heavens. And so from God's perspective, practicing righteousness is something that we not only are called to do, but must do because his spirit is in work in us and it's just something by nature that we have to do. However, at the same time from our perspective, there's another group of people that, that look like they're practicing righteousness and that would be the hypocrites. So from God's perspective, only one group of people practices righteousness. Those are his children. But from our perspective on this earth, without an eternal understanding and, and without fully knowing as he fully knows us, There's two groups of people that appear to be practicing righteousness, God's children and hypocrites. And the Sermon on the Mount, like I said, is is basically uh, gives us God's perspective on his people. It gives us discernment and understanding on who his children are. It gives us the ability to look at what the Lord said on this hill and to judge the sheep from the goat, the good from the bad, the Christian from the hypocrite. But sometimes the hypocrites are very good at practicing what appears to be righteousness. But all hypocrites... Uh, share one common thing and one common hope. And that's what he talks about here. They practice their righteousness to be noticed by men. All those who are not children of God practice their righteousness to be noticed by men. And what we'll see soon, too, is, is we, as children of God, can even slip into uh, the same pattern. And the warning is in, of eternal consequence not to do this. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Now, if you look at this word in, in the Greek, uh, notice, to be noticed by them, it comes from the word theaomai, which is great because it basically means to show off or to act, and it's where we get our word theater or theatrics. And so, in other words, those who do or practice righteousness, to do the works of God, who try to uh, uh, get better and better and better at the things that are characteristic of God, in order to be seen by man, are doing this uh, in, in a theatrical way or in order to show off, in order to act. Now, if we think about that, what is the purpose of an actor? If we, if we think about actors, the purpose of an actor is to convince us that who they are portraying or who they are acting like is, is what they are. Does that make sense? And every year at the Academy Awards, we give out an honor. We honor or we give out an award for the best actor in a film. And the best actor in that film is someone that portrayed that character so well that we all believed it. Man, they were that person. And one of the, the right now, the, one, the, 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 the living actor who has the most Academy Awards for Best Actor is this man, Daniel Day-Lewis. I don't know if you've seen any of his movies, but he is known for his intense preparation, for his intense study of these characters prior to the movie, to the point where during the filming of this movie, he is so in character that he is that person. Uh, some of the things I, I was looking up and I read some stuff about him and listened to this stuff. He said, the preparation for which Day-Lewis is now notorious has been the cause of much heated discussion and some public concern. He crudely tattooed his hands and trained as a real fighter twice a day, seven days a week, for nearly three years for one movie, The Boxer, in 1997. And his trainer, the former world champion Barry Barry McGuigan, said that, that he could have turned professional by the time he was done with the movie. 
He trained that intensely in order to portray a boxer, in order to portray this character in this movie. For in the name of the Father, a movie he came out in 1993, it said he slept in an abandoned jail and ate only prison rations. Uh, for the Crucible in 1996, he lived on the film set, uh, on, the, on the film's set's replica village without electricity or running water and built his character's house with 17th century tools in order to prepare himself to be this person. But, and then uh, his method work as Bill the Butcher in Scorsese's Gangs of New York 2002 attracted a lot of attention. He trained as a butcher. He caught pneumonia while on the set because he refused to tr- uh, change his threadbare coat for a warmer one because that hadn't existed in the 19th century. He wandered around Rome, where the movie was filmed, in character, fighting strangers, uh, because this is what his character was like in the movie. And he said he had to do his preparation, and he admits that he basically totally went mad during this time, getting into this character's mind, getting into this character's uh, lifestyle, and, and, and went out publicly fighting people in order to become more like this character that he is portraying on film. Now, that's intense preparation, right? I mean, this, this is, you know, we look at this and we think that is nuts. Daniel Day-Lewis just won his third Best Actor Award for Lincoln, actually. And, uh, and, and when he won this award, he's the first man to win three Best, uh, best Actor Oscars in the 85-year history of the Academy Awards. But here's the thing. An actor is always an actor, right? Daniel Day-Lewis will never actually be Abraham Lincoln. Even if he, if he portrays him great on film, he will never actually be Abraham Lincoln. And in the same way, a hypocrite will never actually be a child of God, ever. He will always be an actor playing the role of a son of God. And if you think about it, if you think Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, really works at these, these theatrics, really works at getting into character, there are some of you sitting here tonight, some people in the churches tonight all over the world, that have spent years, years, and even lifetimes practicing the role of a son of God without having the spirit of God within them. They do the communion. They sing the songs. They read their Bibles. They go to Bible studies. They, they have their quiet times. They even preach and lead worship. They go around the world evangelizing, being missionaries, and being even thrown in jail for the gospel. But minus the Spirit of God residing in their heart, minus God himself being in them and, 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 and making them a new man, it's all just, just deep, deep, deep theatrics deep hypocrisy in order to be noticed by men so that men will see that and glorify them. It's scary. It's scary because first and foremost, there are hypocrites out there like that that's hard for us to discern, apart from what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. But secondly, it's easy for believers to even fall into this trap of doing it for, uh, in order to be noticed by men. So the warning here is, if you are practicing righteousness in order to be noticed by men, um, that we have no reward with our Father who is in heaven. Matthew, if you read on in the Sermon on the Mount, the very next chapter, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I mean, they, they were doing things, right? Casting out demons. I, mean, I haven't done that, have you? They were prophesying. They were doing miracles in his name. He said, I don't know who you are. You who practice lawlessness, who got better and better and better at your lawlessness by doing these things of God. So the hypocrite, first and foremost, before you even begin the night, needs to heed the warning that if, if you are practicing righteousness and doing the things of God to be noticed by men, 
then, then you're, you're, uh, you, you have no reward with the Father in heaven. In fact, when you face, you're face-to-face with God, this is what the Lord will say to you. Depart from me. I don't even know who you are. You are not my child. I'm not in you. Just like when Jesus spoke to the church in Sardis in Revelation, he says, you, you go around claiming my name. You, you have a name that is alive. But when I look at you, I see dead people. There's many that claim the name of Christ, that go to church, that preach the sermons, that do the mission trips, that do all of these things, and inside they're completely dead. But they've gotten so good at practicing the things that sons of God do that it's hard for us to discern who is and is not a child of God. However, the Lord knows, and the Lord has given us uh, this sermon on the mount to help us to understand. Now, for the rest of us. So the, the message to the hypocrite is repent. Repent now. Repent of the hypocrisy and follow after Christ. Uh, confess your sin to him and, and, and know that apart from him, there, there is no reward. There is no heaven. There is no eternal life. But for all those who remain, we still heed the warning because there is potential for us to fall into this pattern in our life of practicing righteousness to be noticed by men rather than to just glorify the Lord. And so the Christian with the wrong motive, though rewarded with eternal life, the thing we need to remember is that we all actually still face a judgment, right? A judgment of Christ. Cooper mentioned a little bit this morning. I don't want to go too deep into it. But 1 Corinthians 5, Romans 14, and 1 Corinthians 3 all talk about this judgment that Christians face, that we come before the Lord, and the, the Lord sees what we've done, our deeds, and the things that we've done on this earth, and we give account for ourselves before the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about that, uh, uh, you know, that, that Jesus Christ is the foundation, and we build on this foundation with wood, straw, hay, uh, you know, uh, silver, gold, whatever it may be. And, and, uh, and let's see, verse 14, it says, If any man's work which he has built on it remain, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13, it says, Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So for the Christian, heed this warning. Yes, if the Spirit of God is in you, if you are a child of God, all of us will inherit eternal life. We will inherit the earth. We will be uh, children of God. We will be citizens of his kingdom. We will be forgiven forever. We will have eternal life in the presence of God, be called sons of God, and live with him and reign with him and all of that stuff, yes. But at the same time, all of us will come under this judgment seat of Christ. And what we did on this earth, how we acted in certain situations, uh, how we gave, how we prayed, how we fasted, the things that we do here do matter eternally. This life that we live here that will pass away, that we will die, is, is not separate from eternal life. And from God's perspective, it's, it's one life. And what we do here has direct correlation and direct uh, weight on our eternal existence with him. Uh, through this reward stuff. Now, what is the reward? We could go deeper and deeper and deeper into that. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things you could pull out of Revelation or Isaiah that tell you about what this reward is with Christ. But the thing is, is, is we know that God is a rewarder and we will be rewarded because, by our faithfulness to him in this life. And that's where we want to leave that. And that's what Cooper talked about this morning. So, Christian, then, we, get to the, we have the warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness be noticed by men. Because if you do this, there is no reward with your Father in heaven. And then he gets into what the practicing righteousness looks like. He says in verse 2, So when you give to the poor, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees 
what is done in secret will reward you. In Matthew 6, over and over and over, Jesus focused on this reward. He says, God is a rewarder and God rewards those who are faithful to him. We do do it for the reward. And God gladly rewards those who are faithful to him. So we're going to talk about giving tonight. What does it look like for a Christian to give? What does it look like for a Christian to give in a way that when he stands before the Lord, before the judgment seat of Christ, Christ sees him and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little, now you will receive much. You've been faithful with what I gave you on earth, and now I will reward you with eternal reward. The first thing you want to look at here is in verse 2. It says, so when you give to the poor, not if you give to the poor. This is a continual, habitual characteristic of a Christian. Giving is not a, a, a spiritual gift. You know, you have the gift of giving, I have the gift of receiving, or something like that. Uh, all Christians have the, the call, the mandate, and, and the, the Spirit of Christ within them. And one of the things that we are to continually be doing, and, and habitually be doing, is, is giving. Now, what does this giving mean? I mean, of course, the first place our, mon- our, our mind goes is to money. Uh, giving to the church, tithing, things like that. But my goodness, when you look at what the Lord means here... Uh, that just seems minuscule in comparison to what the call actually is. Um, you know, before I did this, I was going to open up the sermon with, you know, because uh, there's all kinds of people out there that, that write on, well, the tithe is dead and we shouldn't tithe, or the tithe, if you really want to tithe, is like 30-something percent, or that Christians should still be tithing because the Mosaic law still has a fa- Man, forget all that stuff. If you want to know what Jesus says, how we are to give, uh, by the time we get done with this, basically it's, it's you. Everything you are, own, have, and, and are made up of, I mean, it's, the tithe is like compared to the call of Christ. So let's, let's forget that. But monetary, monetary things are part of this. But let, let's look at what the Lord's talking about with giving here. So, um, <laughs> so he says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound your trumpets like the hypocrites do. Go into the synagogue and streets so they'll be honored by men. Um, giving to the poor here literally means doing merciful deeds. So right there, we get past the monetary thing. We're not just talking about money. We're talking about any act of mercy, pity, helping others that you do. When you give to those in need. When you help those in need. And this could be through, yes, money, through possessions. This can be your time. This can be the talents and and the things that God has blessed you with in this life. Uh, Anytime you give to the poor, uh, do it in this way. And then the the first is the negative, the Pharisees, the bad example. He says the Pharisees basically get the best actor award. They did, they did help others. You know, sometimes we paint the Pharisees, these guys that just run around robbing people and they hated everybody. I mean, man, on the outside, though, they did this stuff. They did help others. They did give money. And in fact, they used all of their time. They, their life was dedicated to God. Their entire life was dedicated to God's service. They were the ones preaching every Sunday. They were the ones reading the word all the time. They were the ones out mourning and praying. And yeah, maybe they did it publicly, and maybe they did it for other men to see, but these guys were doing it, right? And they spent their whole lives doing this and practicing it and getting better and better and better and better and better to the point they didn't even recognize their Savior when he actually came. But then they were good at it, and they spent a lot of time doing it, a lot more time than you and I do, practicing these things of God. The Pharisees knew this stuff, but the only thing was they were doing it for the wrong reason. They were doing it for others to see them. They were doing it for the, with the wrong heart, with the wrong motive. They wanted others to glorify them. They wanted others to notice them. They wanted people to recognize them and the sacrifice that they were making for God. And God, when he stands up on this hill and looks down at them, says, you've received your reward in full. 
When these people said, thank you, or God bless you, or what a wonderful man of God you are, or how humble, how generous, how, how grateful we are that you spend so much time preparing for these sermons, you spend so much time giving, you spend so much time helping others in need and doing all these things of God. He says that was it. That, that was their entire reward right there. They shouldn't expect to get before the Lord one day and the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've had your reward in full. When we do things that are like God, when we practice righteousness, when we do the things of God in order to be noticed by men, the, the whole desire there is for us to be uplifted, for us to be exalted, for somebody to look at you and say, what an awesome man of God. What a humble person. Man, I wish I knew the word like him. I wish I prayed like that guy. What an amazing person. And if you're doing it for that, in order to be noticed by men, in order to be, to, 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 to be known as a humble, God-fearing Christian amongst men, if that's the motive, the heart, and the intention, well, you have your reward. And don't expect to get before the Lord and Him to say, good job, buddy. You have it all right here on earth. That is a terrifying thing. Because when you look at yourself, well, I'm assuming, when I look at myself, I mean, I see this. You know, it, it, it's, it's nice, and I think I even talked about this one time when I was up here. It's nice to get off the pulpit, and I mean, sometimes you get down up here, and you're just like, man, I blew that. I don't know. I don't know if anybody heard it. And somebody's like, man, you did a great job. And, and there's always something in you that's just like, like, sweet, I did. I did a good job. You know, I mean, there's just, there's, we're always fighting this, this desire, even though we know it's wrong. You know, we're like, no, 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 praise be to the Lord in heaven, God. He's so wonderful and great. But then at the same time, there's still something in us that takes some of that for ourselves. And then we're like, we're like, you know, praise be to God, but I was pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, so we must heed this warning. <laughs> and we got to figure out what it means to be able to give to others without our right hand knowing what our left hand does. To give to others in a way that only the Lord sees it. And then he does reward us when we stand before him at this judgment. So I'm going to give you three, three points to kind of retrain your mind on what giving is. <laughs> Don't look at the clock. <laughs> three points to retrain your mind on what giving is. And, uh, and, um, and uh, Lord willing, this will... This will strike your heart like it did mine, because ever since then, I've been convicted pretty much every day uh, since I preached this to them like a month and a half ago. So uh, first and foremost, giving reflects God. Okay, giving reflects God because God is the giver of all. We got to start with God because it is, he is the one that is righteous and we're to be practicing righteousness. So when it comes to giving and the act of giving, which is practicing righteousness, let's start again with God. Number one, giving reflects God because God is the giver of all. We all know this is a no-brainer. I mean, when it comes to our needs, you know, he gives us food, he gives us air, he gives us water, he gives us life, right? Apart from him, you wouldn't be there, I wouldn't be here. So God obviously is given to us today. He gives us mercy. We have forgiveness. We have his kindness, his patience, and his peace. We have his son, Jesus Christ. He gave us that, even though we were fighting against him. So he gives us our needs. He gives us mercy. He gives us help. He helps us through trials. He helps us through struggles and sin and suffering and persecution. He gives us our possessions. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the whole earth. He made it. He spoke it, and it's here. And everything that's part of that, he gives to, if we have it or if we're in possession of these clothes or whatever it may be, he's given this stuff to us. So God is a giver. God is a giver. And the children of God understand this. All children of God look at their life and know that God gave us this stuff. None of us say, well, God gave me a lot of things, but I really worked hard on some of this stuff. We understand that, that God gave it to us. And so we give to reflect our Father. 
Our God gave our, to us for our needs. He gave us mercy. He gave us help. He gave us our stuff. So we give up to others to reflect him. He gave it to me. I'm giving it to you. My dad gave me this. I'm giving this away to you. We give because we have been given. The Lord has given us everything, and so we give in or- because we have been given. We understand that this stuff isn't ours. This stuff is temporary. This stuff is given to us so that we can give it away. And so we give to reflect our Lord, our, our Father, and we give because we have been given. And the, 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 the terrifying opposite example is the merciless servant parable. I'm not going to flip there, and I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. But the Jesus talks about that a guy was called in, uh, the, the um, servant called into the king. The king says, you know, uh, he owed him a huge debt, and he's like, today... I want you to pay it back today. And the guy, I mean, it was like uh, years and years and years of salary. This guy can never pay back. I think the Bible says 10,000 talents. And then the guy falls on his face and says, please have mercy on me. I beg you. Just, just please have mercy on me. I will pay you back every penny. And the king had mercy, had pity on the guy. And he says, I'm going to wipe your debt clean. Walk out of here and, and you're good to go, okay? And the guy walks out the door, finds another person that owes him uh, was a denier, I can't remember, but it was not very much money. Uh, just a, a, you know, basically like a week's wage, I think it amounts to, or maybe a month's wage. And he begins to choke his fellow servant. And choking him says, pay me back everything you owe me now. And the guy says the exact same words. He says, please have mercy on me. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back every penny. And the guy says, no, and he throws him in prison. And so the other ser- servants go run to the king, and they're like, the guy that you just forgave, 10,000 lifetimes worth of money or whatever. I know that's an exaggeration, but a ton of money has now gone out and choked his fellow slave and told him to pay back this small amount. And the king brings him back and he's like, what are you thinking? And throws him in jail uh, and, uh, until he can pay back every penny. But the point there is, for us to look at that, is that God has forgiven us immensely, beyond what you can ever understand, eternal things. And there's nothing that we should look at in anyone else and not be able to show them mercy, not be able to forgive them, not be able to forgive them the debt that they owe us because we have been forgiven a debt we can never, ever, ever pay, right? And in the same way, we need to look at giving. That the Father has given us everything, the clothes on your back, the food that you ate this afternoon, the talents that you have, the mind that you have, the ability to do whatever you can, anything, the breath that you have, the fact that your body is still working right now. All that stuff the Lord has given to us. And so how crazy would it be for us not to give to others when we've been given so much? So number one, giving uh, reflects God because God is giver of all. Number two, reflecting God brings honor to God. When we reflect God, we bring honor to Him. When we reflect God, we bring glory to Him. When we reflect God, we bring praise to Him. When we share the truth that everything comes from God, including our stuff, including our salvation, including Him helping us in this life, then we are bringing Him honor, glory, praise, and adoration, right? We are just the, the tangible mediators on earth, the church. We are his, his tangible thing on earth that He uses to give to all those in need. He uses us as his body on earth. His spirit resides inside the church, and then the church goes out and does God's work. He's only given to us so that we can give to others. He's only given you talent so that you can give it to others. He's only given you stuff to give to others. He's only given you time today so that you would give it away to others. That's why you're alive. We're his tangible mediators on earth in order to give to others. We are just the messengers of the truth, right? I mean, his truth would be proclaimed whether we are here or not. However, that's just how he decided to do it. 
He has entrusted you with the truth of God. He's entrusted with you with the, the message that his son died for the sins of the world. He's entrusted you with a message that, that we're all sinners, that we all fall short of his glory, but that he made a way and that Christ is coming again and judgment comes with him and we must repent. You've got the message. And now he's entrusted you with that to take it out and give it to others. He could do it by himself if he wanted. I mean, he could just boom through the thunders and the heavens and the sound of rushing waters and all these ways God's described as speaking to different prophets and, and just tell the world in one fell swoop, hey, yeah, I died for you, I'm coming back, repent right now. But he doesn't. He uses us. He uses his church to go out and to give uh, the message away to others. In the same way that the moon proves there is a sun, right? Our giving should prove that there is a giver. There's a moon in the sky that reflects the light of the sun, so we know there's a sun because the moon reflects the light. Even at night when the sun's not there, we know it's still there because the moon's lit up, right? In the same way, our giving should reflect the fact that there is a giver giving us everything. Our mercy proves his mercy. Our patience proves his patience. Our forgiveness proves his forgiveness. Like he said a chapter earlier, you know, there's no chapters, just, you know, like a few minutes earlier when he was talking to the people on the mountain. He said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good work and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The moon reflects the true light, the sun, right? The moon never expects to be exalted when it fully shines in the midst of the darkness. And just in case it did, God slowly humbles it throughout the month until no one even notices that it's there. The, no, the, the moon does not shine and hope that somebody looks up there and goes, man. Look at the light of the moon. I'm so thankful for the moon. The moon is awesome. The moon just reflects the sun's light. Apart from the sun being there, you wouldn't even know the moon was up there. In the same way, we should be giving in a way that reflects the giver that gives us all things. So number one, God is a giver, uh, and we are to reflect God. Number two, reflecting God brings honor to God. And then finally, God rewards those who honor him. Number three, God rewards those who honor him. Now, this is where it's time to retrain our minds. And this was where the, the rubber meets the road, okay? Look around and just think of life this way. Everything you have been given in this life, everything you have been given in this life has potential to bring eternal reward from God. Have you ever thought about life like that? This blew me away when I started thinking about it this way. Depending on what you do and how you do it. Every possession that you have been given is potential for eternal, everlasting reward. Every talent that you have been given is potential for eternal reward. Every person you encounter is potential for eternal reward. Every trial, every struggle, every temptation, every moment of suffering, every instance of persecution is potential for eternal reward in heaven when you meet Jesus face to face. Every word that comes out of your mouth, every decision that you make, every action you take in this life is potential for eternal reward. Every paycheck is potential for eternal reward. Everything we're given. If we step back and look at it that way, it makes, it, it just, it, life is so different. The time that you have been given right now, the fact that you are alive, and every single thing that you interact with throughout the day has eternal weight and value to it. So take the things that God gives you in this life and use them to gain eternal reward. God is a rewarder for those who practice righteousness. He uses trials. He uses persecution. He uses relationships. He uses time 
He uses material goods to give to us, to put us in these positions where we can either squander it or invest it for eternal things. Isn't that crazy? I mean, think about life that way. It's not just, you know, these are my, my God things or these things I like to do on my own that really don't have anything to do with God. I mean, life in general, time, your existence, all of this stuff is potential for you to gain a reward in heaven. Jesus, you know, sums it all up uh, by saying, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will man gain in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in, glory, uh, in, the, in the glory of his Father with the angels and then and, and repay every man according to his deeds. And Paul had the right perspective. I love, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, uh, at the end of Philippians, when Paul's, you know, giving everybody thanks and he talks to the Philippian church and, and he says uh, to the Philippian church, he says, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone, you know? And so you think that the next thing he would say is, thank you so much. Now I was in jail and thank you for giving to me. I needed that, but it's so funny. I mean, if we wrote a thank you letter like this, the person that gave us would probably be offended. Paul says instead, he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent me a gift more than once for my needs. So, I mean, they've been doing this consistently. They keep giving him, and he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases your account. Paul looked at the Philippian church, and when they would give to him when he was in need, he didn't look at the gift and say, thank you, I needed this. He said, oh my goodness, the, the Philippian churches gave me this stuff that, in his mind, that was, they are building a reward in heaven. He was more thankful that they were using stuff of this world to build up everlasting reward. He says that you're, you're increasing profit for eternity by giving me this stuff. And he's like, that's awesome. Can't wait to see you there. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, thanks for the cookies, you know? I'll see you guys next time I come through. It was, uh, you've used these cookies to build up eternal reward. Good job. All right, Luke 16, and this is the best way to, this is another, you know, this, this, this little parable that Jesus gives in Luke 16 makes no sense apart from this, this idea of, of, of using these things to build up for eternity. He said, uh, Luke 16, 1 through 12, he says, there was a rich man who had a manager, and his, uh, you know, I used to read this and think, what in the world does this mean? Now I know. Uh, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. So he called him in, he said, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting for your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master's taken away the management from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And so he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own, uh, their own kind than the sons of light. But I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of the unrighteous, so that when it fails, and it will, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very, in a very little thing is faithful also much. And, who, and, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches, or who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of, which is, of that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? Have you ever thought about that? All this stuff that we say is ours on this earth, this is somebody else's stuff. This is God's stuff. 
These are God's talents that we have. This is God's life. This is stuff entrusted us to a short period of time. All of this stuff will pass. All of this stuff will rot. All of this stuff will rust. All of this stuff will burn. But you can take that stuff that you know will go away and you can use it in a way that when you get to eternal dwellings, God himself will entrust you with stuff that will not pass away that will be your own. That's crazy. It would make no sense. That would be the poorest investment ever. To take a bunch of stuff that's going to burn and be like, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, ha, 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 and then you die. And then it's all gone anyway. You know, it makes no sense. You know, if, if you went to an investor and said, you know, I got all, I got all this money. It's going to rot tomorrow. I'm going to go get a safe and stick it in. He'd be like, are you kidding? Go use it and buy stuff. Like, I mean, stuff that won't rot tomorrow. Same thing. All this stuff we have, even your time. I mean, like, look, let's say you're good at baseball. You can use that in a way that will glorify the Lord because within 20 years, you're not going to be good at baseball anymore. You know, just talents pass, time passes, your abilities to pass. Right now you can use your body and you can do all these things. You might not be able to use your body in a way like that in a week, in a month, in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, or 50 years, however it may be. So take what you have now and use it in a way to build up eternal reward. Does that make sense? That blew me away. Every moment, everything is an opportunity to give to others and to glorify God and to build up eternal war in heaven. But... Um, there is a negative side and that was the warning the negative side is uh, we tend to have the exact opposite view oh I'm sorry I'm sorry hold on the negative side is this we tend to have the exact opposite viewpoint we see our time our possessions our talents our life and God's trying to pry away 10% of it or God's trying to take certain nights of our life or days of the week we want to be thanked we want to be honored and worshipped uh, as God because we provide for someone else's need it is hard it is a struggle we give to someone, we want someone to say thank you. You know, like, honestly, I mean, imagine if you went and gave $1,000 to someone because they were in need, and they were, like, sweet, and walked off. I mean, would you not be offended? Don't you think they should say thank you? Don't you think they need to, to at least acknowledge the fact that you just provided for their needs? I, I mean, it's a hard thing, right? We steal God's glory when we accept his worship. And we lose our reward when we glorify ourselves in these opportunities. So the warning is this. If you take this stuff and glorify yourself, that's all you got. But if you take this stuff and you glorify him and him alone, then you will receive a reward in heaven. So what's the key? What's the answer? How do we make sure we're not doing this in order to be seen by others? That's the big question. That's what we struggle with as believers. Yes, God gave us all this. We need to take all of this and see that it's not ours, and we can use it to build up eternal reward. But the Lord says that you've got to do this in secret, or you're just like the hypocrite. So how do we do that in secret? Because I think about it. I mean, just logically, giving is always in public, right? In some manner. I mean, you can give anonymously, but you're still giving. Uh, and most of the time, it's not anonymously. I mean, you come face-to-face face with the person you're giving, you're helping. I mean, you can't help someone in need anonymously. It's like, I fell in a hole. Well, uh, here, you put on a mask and go, like, help him out of a hole. And be like, who was that? You know, I guess Batman does that. But uh, <laughs> not you. <laughs> All right? So how do you do it in secret? Well, you know, when we also got this problem. Jesus just said, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good work. See your good works. See your good works and glorify the, uh, uh, the, the Father who is in heaven. All right, and then a chapter later, or minutes later, um, or in our case, a year later, uh, he says in Matthew 6, 1, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Can you guys figure that out? Because that's where the sermon stopped. I don't know what to say next. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, uh, A.B. Bruce, this is, this is a really good quote that, that summed up better, and I'm going to be able to. 
Uh, he was a Scottish theologian in the 1800s. He said uh, this, uh, we're always to be practicing righteousness. The difference between Matthew 5.16, where you do it to be seen by men, they glorify the Lord in heaven, and Matthew 6.1, where you do it in secret so that no one sees what you do and you don't acknowledge it yourself and you store up re- or get reward in heaven is, he said it this way, and I thought this was awesome. Uh, we are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. So when, we, when, when we're, I don't, I don't even need to explain that. That's what he said. We're to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. We do not do it for others to see and to glorify ourselves, and we don't do it to acknowledge even ourselves and then glorify ourselves. But a practical way of not letting your right hand know what your left hand does and how to do it and forget about it, I I think practically it works out this way. There's plenty of ways to guard yourself. There's plenty of ways to point to him. Like I said, I mean, when you give to someone else and they're like, thank you for giving that to me, you say, man, God gave that to me. I'm just giving to you because the giver gives to me. I just helped you because he helps me. I mean, there's a, 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 that, that's a great thing. But as I started looking at my life, I just started thinking, I just started seeing how short I fall of the standard, how, uh, how very few times I do look at life this way. And then I just started thinking about the things that I do practice. And then this just clicked. One of the ways to let your left hand not know what your right hand does, one of the ways to guard yourself, against doing it for the show or doing it so that others honor you or even honoring yourself when you do these things, even if you do it in secret, is by going back right to the very beginning, by practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. If you practice giving, and like we said, I mean, showing mercy, helping, loving others, all these different things, giving your, your time, your possession, your money, if you practice and practice and practice and practice, eventually you won't even know what you're doing. Eventually it becomes such a habitual part of your lifestyle that's just what you do and I thought about it this way I got to do baseball analogies all the all the the youth know that all I do is talk about baseball and my analogies but I mean there's we, we all know that, that God has given us a lot of different sports but they've all been tainted by sin and, and by the devil other than baseball that stays pure <laughs> all the way through <laughs> but think about baseball okay the first time you ever connect with a ball right I mean, you, 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 you've been swinging, you miss, you miss, and then that first time you hit the ball, you are so proud. You finally hit the ball, and you stand there, and you watch it roll, and, and you watch it go like 10 feet, and you are so thankful you hit the ball, you know? And then you practice again and again, then you hit it again, and you're so thankful, and this time it goes a little further. And every time you finally hit it, you're, 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 you, you look at yourself, and you're like, I did it! And you're so grateful, you're so thankful, but then you practice and practice and practice. Now, let's just take it way down the road, Okay? And I'm going to tell you about a guy named Ted Williams. Some of you know who Ted Williams is. Some of you don't know who Ted Williams is. If you don't know who Ted Williams is, Ted Williams is um, at the end of the uh, service, we'll have a time of repentance. Uh, <laughs> Ted Williams is, is practically one of the best hitters that baseball has ever seen, professional baseball. Uh, someone writing on Ted Williams said this, He was not a perfect hitter, but he came as close to hitting perfection as anyone ever has. He wanted to be the greatest hitter ever. He talked about it day and night. He sought out the best hitters and grilled them on their techniques. As a kid, he almost always had a bat in his hand. He would take batting practice until literally he tore the cover off available baseballs. His first minor league coach visited him one time during the evening practice and said that there was blood trickling from his hands as he gripped a chipped bat. And he would, uh, but, it says, but he kept swinging and hitting. He strived for perfection over his lifetime, and Ted Williams took hundreds of thousands of swings at baseballs. If you showed up to practice and, 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 and Ted hit a single he didn't stop for a moment and congratulate himself for a single or stand in awe of the fact that he connected. 
after hundreds and thousands of swings and grilling one and other people and, and, and trying to figure out how to be the best hitter ever, it was just part of what he did. When he hit the ball, he just reared back to hit the next one and to hit the next one and to hit the next one. He was not th- he didn't hit the ball and go, congratulations, Ted, that was awesome. Did you see how far that went? I'm so good today. And then hit the next ball. Wow, I did really good. It was just part of what he did. He expected himself to hit it. It wouldn't make sense if he didn't hit it. Does that? And as Christians, if we were to practice and practice and practice giving in a way that, that reflects this, knowing that all things are given to us and we gave and gave and gave and gave and gave and gave and gave our time and our talents and our stuff and our possessions to the point that we didn't even recognize ourselves that we were even giving. It was just part of how we live. It's part of what we do. We do it because he does it to us. I mean, we wake up and God gives to us well, not even wake up. I mean, even while we're asleep, God gives to us throughout our entire lifetime. He doesn't think like, uh, well, here's, here's this little, uh, you know, cup of water. Now, you know, and then he, and God's like, all right, here's your cup of water. Look what I just did. I mean, he's, he's doing it all, all at the same time all over creation. And if we were to reflect just minusculely a little bit of that, of our creator, then we would be the, the Ted Williams of Christianity. We would be giving and giving and giving in a way that we don't even take the time to stop and congratulate ourselves. We don't even take the time to think that I just did a good work, that I should, be, I should receive a thank you for that. You just give and go and keep on giving in everything that you do. Now, again, I, I say that now looking at my life and, and thinking I, I'm still that kid that's like, bing, sweet, you know. But we need to be practicing righteousness so regularly it doesn't even cross our minds to stop and congratulate ourselves on our achievements. We don't even notice when we give because it's, such a nat- it's just as natural as breathing to us. Um. And we, and we have different goals in mind, right? Our, our goal is not to give so that others see us, but in order for God to be glorified, in order for us to use these things to build up your eternal reward in heaven. So I leave you with this. The goal is not just to play defense. The goal is not just to try to, to not think about yourself and try to not congratulate yourself and try to not glorify yourself and try to not receive someone else's glory. And when someone thanks you, you're like, no, thank God, I can't take it myself. I mean, that's not how we are to live. But the goal is to play offense, the goal is to look at everything in life as potential for God to be glorified and for you to be rewarded. There's a lot to invest in this world. And so let's start working. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that, that you did come to earth, that you did become a man. Lord, that you sent your son to come and to, to stand on this hill this day and to give us this sermon. Father, we know that you are the giver of all things. Lord, we know apart from you, not only do we deserve nothing, but we would have nothing. All of this has been spoken into existence by you, and then daily you sustain everything on this earth. From the flowers of the field, the birds of the air, to us, your children, whom you sent your done to die for, those made in your image. Lord, we know that you care for us so deeply, so intimately, that you know everything about us, that you're well acquainted with our thoughts and our words, our ways that you've ordained every step of our life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to retrain our minds and look at this life as a complete gift from you, and that we are to take this gift and give it away every day, all day as long as today is called today. So that we can build up eternal reward in heaven where moth does not destroy and rust does not destroy and fire will not destroy, but things that will last forever. And that we can bring glory and honor to you, the giver of all things. Lord, thank you for entrusting us 
with the, the one truth of our, of our salvation, the fact that, that your son died on a cross for our sins to pay the wrath of God so that we would not have to endure and not have to drink the cup of his wrath. Lord, knowing that, that through your salvation we're adopted into your family and into your kingdom, we're called citizens of God, children of God, brothers of Christ, sons of the Father. Lord, I pray that you would help us to one, take this message and give it away with all of our life, and then two, to take all of the things that you've given to us in this life, our time, our, our possessions, our talents, and that we would give them away so frequently, so often, so habitually, Lord, that, that our left hand would not know what our right hand does, and that you would receive glory and honor as we continually point to our Father, the giver of all things. Lord, help us, help, help us to pry ourselves away from the world that beckons us, from the deceitfulness of sin, as Cooper talked about this morning, that continually uh, hardens us to the truths of God to the point that eventually some even fall away from the faith who have partaken of this stuff. Lord, I pray that we would be playing offense, that we would, instead of entertaining sin, we would be seeing the entire world as, a, as potential for us to glorify you and build up reward, that we would see these things pass away, that these things will not last, and that we'd be taking it and using it as fast as we can for the kingdom of God. Thank you for your patience and your mercy and your grace in our lives when we fall short of this. And we pray, Lord, that through the power and strength of your spirit, you would help us to be faithful with all that you've given us in this life. In your holy name we pray, amen. You are dismissed.